covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us. Thanks so much for being tuned in. Let's uh, give our special hello and welcome in to the folks who are listening on 540 ESPN, part of the pod center that is put together on uh, weekday afternoons. But for uh, those of you who are just listening via the podcast, the way it was kind of built to be listened to, hello to you as well. Our housekeeping things that we always do here at the top of the program. If you do listen via Apple Podcast and want to leave a ranking and review and subscribe to the podcast, that would be fantastic. We're going to jump right into things because over the next few weeks, the podcast is going to sound a little bit different than it normally does. We did this last year as well. It's a, a kind of a good way to get the offseason really going, but kind of at a period of time where the offseason hasn't really kicked up that much. And certainly, if there are things that happen, we will address them here in this part of the uh, podcast here over the next few weeks. But the uh, the bulk of this podcast and the next two weeks are going to be extended conversations with Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball as we do a really in-depth look at the Brewers minor league system. Uh, it's more specifically looking at individuals, and we break it into three different parts here in just a little while. We're going to talk about uh, guys who peaked out this year, either at AAA or AA. Next week, we will do the same with players who peaked at uh, either the single-A levels. And then in two weeks, we are going to uh, talk about players who uh, played short-season ball this past uh, year and did not get uh, into full-season clubs. So uh, kind of long conversations. We touch on every single player who is listed in the MLB Pipeline Top 30 list. And then we also touch on a few other players as well who are not on uh, the prospect list. So as you might expect, uh, very, very in-depth kind of uh, conversations a little bit different. Uh, Hopefully, uh, if you're somebody who doesn't care too much about the minor leagues, uh, just cares about the major league team, I'd hope that you might uh, stick around for a listen just to get an idea of uh, what's going to be coming up, especially in this episode today, because the players that we are going to be talking about could be in Milwaukee sooner than later. So that's uh, that. This one especially is probably has the most relevance for people who are most interested or only interested in what's going on at the big league level. A couple things to talk about here at the top of the program before we get into that, though. The Brewers coaching staff was completed this past. Last week, as Jacob Cruz was announced as the new assistant hitting coach. Now, he replaces Jason Lane. Lane is going to shift over uh, to uh, coach first base as uh, he had been the assistant hitting coach. So now Lane is the first base coach. He replaces Carlos Subero. Carlos Subero had also uh, worked with the infielders. Bench coach Pat Murphy and manager Craig Council are now going to uh, handle working with the infielders. So that's how uh, it is going to uh, work for the Brewers moving forward. Cruz spent last year working as the hitting coach, uh, or excuse me, as the assistant hitting coach for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And the Pirates don't have a manager uh, right now. They just uh, recently getting a, a GM in place and uh, nothing was set. So now Jacob Cruz joining the Brewers uh, coaching staff. Uh, the award voting that was announced this past week does not go the Brewers' way. Christian Yelich comes in second in the National League MVP voting. And then uh, Craig Council comes in second in the National League Manager of the year. Cody Bellinger won the National League MVP. You can make arguments for for really either side. 
I if I would if I had a vote and I don't, uh, I would have voted for Christian Yelich. But I'm not overly upset that it was Cody Bellinger who won it. Uh, just just missing that time at the end of the season as 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 much as that might not be fair to Yelich, and I don't think it is. You know, you look at Mike Trout winning in the American League, and he certainly missed some time late in the season. But for whatever reason, it just didn't feel like he was going to win it, at least for me, uh, once he got injured, and it kind of turns out that way. It's a bummer. I think you can certainly make the argument uh, that Yelich deserved it. You can certainly make the argument that Yelich had a better year than Bellinger, but Bellinger had a really good season as well. I kind of feel the same way about Craig Council coming in second uh, for the manager of the year. I'm, I was more upset last season. I thought clearly... Last season, the uh, the 28, uh, 2018 campaign, without a doubt to me, Council was the best manager in the National League. And this is not meant to be a shot at Brian Snitker, who won it that year, but I just... I, you could go back on this podcast. I don't understand how anybody did not vote for uh, Craig Council. This year, I thought it was a lot closer. Uh, Mike Schilt, who got the award, did a really nice job with St. Louis. I thought Brian Snitker had more of a claim to last year. If I had to choose to vote for Brian Snitker either in 2018 or 2019, uh, I, I would have said that he did a better job managing in 2019 and was, was more uh, deserving of the honor. It stings a little bit because Council was named first on more ballots than anybody else. The problem was he was not named on some ballots, and uh, Schilt was. So Council comes up second. He's going to win one of these at some point in time. He's too good of a manager not to. Uh, again, I'm. it feels like he should have won it last year, and uh, that's the one that you still kind of look at and go, how did he not? How did people vote in, in another direction? How did Brian Snitker win it uh, last year? And Snitker came in uh, third this year behind Mike Schilt, and then uh, after that it was uh, Council, and then Snitker came in after that. All right, as mentioned, uh, this week it is a little bit different. Over the next few weeks, it's going to be a little different as uh, we have our extended conversations with Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball as we start our in-depth look back at the uh, minor league season. I say look back. It's kind of a look forward as well because we're really evaluating these players and what to expect from them moving forward after they wrap up their minor league seasons this past year. So let's go ahead and get to it. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley, and we're very happy to welcome on to the podcast a guy you heard last week, a guy you're going to hear next week, and a guy you're going to hear in two weeks because we have hit that time of the year where we do our full-scale look back at the minor league seasons, uh, more specifically on the players and how they performed for those minor league teams. No disrespect meant to the uh, results of those teams, but that's not really the, the part of this uh, conversation or the goal of this conversation. So we do welcome back on to the podcast, Brad Ford from uh, Brew Crew Ball. Hey, Brad, how are you? Matt, I am doing fantastic. Um, you know, it's the off-season, which means we're into roster-building mode. And, uh, you know, I get to dream about the, what the minor leagues are going to look like next year. So it's a, it's a good time. Before I even go on, on like, looking at Brewers stuff, 
was uh, your colleague, managing editor at uh, Brew Crew Ball, kind of compiled the list of potential teams uh, that could be out if Major League Baseball gets what they want in the Minor League Baseball uh, redo, which may or may not happen. A lot of teams on there. For me, it kind of hits me in an emotional way because I was once the broadcaster for the Burlington Bees. I was a broadcaster for the Colorado Springs Sky Sox, who are now the Rocky Mountain Vibes, playing at a different level. And both those teams slash cities uh, are, are potentially on the chopping block. I hate it for the people in those communities who could be losing their teams. There's teams in Utah getting knocked out. Like the entire mountain time zone of minor league baseball is basically going away. I really hate this. I hate this, hate this, hate this, but I've got a very unique look at it. Where do you stand right now on the, um, on the proposal as it sits? I hate it too. Um, I really don't see who it's benefiting outside of the major league baseball owners. Um, and then on top of, you know, getting rid of those teams, which was a unilateral decision made without discussion with the owners of those teams. It's being made strictly by Major League Baseball, not their minor league partners in any way, shape or form. Um, they're also talking about shifting the cost of operation from Major League Baseball to the owners of those teams, which just seems absurd to me when the only Aside from generating some revenue from local attendance, which can be spotty depending on the team in the region, how much access they have to other baseball, um, it's strictly a fodder for Major League Baseball. So it makes sense that Major League Baseball has paid a lot of the cost for the baseball's what the product on the field. Um, you know, it makes sense for the owners to pay for the you know staff that runs the day-to-day make sure her in like the food staff and pays for all those items because that's what they're making their money off of um but in terms of the minor league players those are strictly affiliated with the major league baseball organization um and i think once you move those costs over to minor league baseball it's going to lead to a lot more teams shutting down because of costs or selling um which probably ends up leading to major league baseball buying out more teams kind of like the brewers did with the carolina mudcats and then major league baseball just controlling all of minor league baseball um there's been some discussion about how this could lead to a better life support for the uh, minor league players in terms of increased salary uh better living conditions etc etc i don't think that's going to be a direct outcome from this i think it's being done purely for a selfish reason uh, because they want to pay less people because they want to pay for less facilities um I agree that maybe that step in the chain of development isn't the most necessary. Looking at it from that angle, I kind of understand it, but I think it's overwhelmingly being done for greed, and I just cannot support something that's done more for greed than for well-being. Yeah, that's that's well said. Um, I just – and we'll get it. I don't want to spend too much time on this. It's just something that's kind of been – on my on my head and my heart, really, throughout the course of uh, since since I saw the names of the teams that could potentially be uh, knocked out. And look, there's some minor league baseball teams out there that are in big enough markets that if all of a sudden they start, you know, being forced to pay some of the player salaries, that they they they'd be fine. They'd be fine. Uh, but there's a vast majority of them 
that could not afford that. You know, there's a reason that independent baseball league teams, for the most part, are in bigger markets because those are teams that are paying salaries of players. And we've actually seen uh, a, a bit of a reduction in recent years after the independent baseball boom. We've seen a reduction of it in recent years. Some teams have been going out of business. And I just I look at all these small markets and you look at some areas where people cannot be introduced to Major League Baseball. They're, at, they're hours and hours away from being able to go to a Major League Baseball game, and now all of a sudden the teams might be yanked out from, from underneath them. I just I don't like it, and it does seem greedy. And the other side of that is if Major League Baseball is going to force these minor league baseball teams to start paying some of the players, at that point can't the minor league baseball team say, okay, then these guys are our employees, and we're going to tell them what to do. You're no longer their boss, or we're sharing in their, their boss-tum. You know, we want them to go do an autograph signing at 9 o'clock in the morning after playing a doubleheader the night before. They're going to do it because we're paying their uh, salaries. Unfortunately, I think the agreement uh, get, still gives Major League Baseball a lot of control over that. I think you, if that does happen, the minor league team should take them to court and fight for that. Yeah, yeah. Type I, of control. I, I would agree. I think it's absurd. I do too. Uh, uh, the other side of this is now there are more minor league baseball in terms of inviting prospects and developing players is a fairly predatory system it coaxes you in under the idea that anyone can be a superstar but really it's just using you as a body abusing your uh skill set and using you for profit or development and using you as a pawn kind of in the strategy to get players to better system a lot of players never make it past a, a majority of minor league baseball players never make it out of, I believe, even rookie ball. Yeah. So the idea that there are less spots makes a l- sense in terms of reducing the predatory nature. However, you also it's hard not to think about all the players who have benefited from that as substantially less than have been hurt by it because so many have been hurt under the guise of oh yeah sign this contract for five thousand dollars as an undrafted free agent come in we're going to break your arm from making you the guy we go to as we worry more about develop these high schoolers as you face competition that's way below your grade and yeah you'll look and feel good but then we're not going to bring you back next season and you're going to miss out on a year on a year of your career or something along those lines um a lot of those guys get i feel really played by major league baseball and the system in that regard um but still a lot of those guys have also been fighting tooth and nail for every opportunity that they've gotten in terms of playing sports and some of them develop into just the most phenomenal stories um and Although I like that there's less room for the predatory habit of preying on the idealistic viewpoints of a young adult, I also don't, as an idealistic person, I don't love the idea of taking away opportunities from people like your Mike Piazza's, a Hall of Famer who was drafted after the 20th round. You know, with this reduction, we're also talking about a draft that ends in 20 rounds. Yeah. And. Um, and not yeah, that Major just, League Baseball needs to worry about it, but again, I, I look at my path, 
there's there's other people that are going to be affected. You know, there's there's baseball executives who come up in the minor leagues. There's there there's baseball broadcasters like I was who came up in the minor leagues and did a couple years in indie ball and then finally got into low A ball and, and then got an opportunity at Triple A. Like this just this has a this has a impact on the industry as a whole. Yeah, it's awful all yeah. around. All right, let's get into what we're here for. And just to kind of let people know what we're doing, we're going to look back at the seasons that were that for all the minor league baseball teams in the Brewers organization. Uh, we're going to split this into three conversations. Today we'll do AAA and AA. Next week we'll do the two single-A squads, and then we'll look at uh, some of the short season stuff in our final conversation. Uh, last year I just kind of went willy-nilly and tried to decide when there were guys who played at multiple levels uh, where to best place them. I'm going to do my best this this year to look at where they peaked out the highest level that they were at uh, during the season and go from there and we're also going to focus in a lot on the top 30 guys and then we may throw a guy in after that so with that being said we started triple a san antonio where brad it was not exactly a good season for overall number three prospect zach brown no uh his control took a gigantic leap backwards um you know, we go from a guy who was last year and, you know, really through his career up until this point, a pretty solid control pitcher where he's averaging, you know, three and a half or lower in terms of walks um, and in walks per nine. And now you jump up to about five walks per nine in his 116 innings at San Antonio. Um, with that comes a less efficient strikeout rate. And obviously, he was getting hit up substantially more. Um, now, speculation, I, I'm going to throw this out here for all the AAA baseball, especially the pitchers. The ball was allegedly the same one that they were using in Major League Baseball, uh, which is allegedly a different ball juiced ball i'm sure a lot of people have heard about the changes to the ball how but one of the things that it has the players have said is impacted a lot is the secondary offerings for which they throw so i wonder if that had any play in zach brown's struggles with control because not only are you going to a league that historically is hitter dominant um, and pitchers struggle mightily in it but now you're dealing with a ball and your entire arsenal might not be as effective as it once was, especially when you're looking at a control pitcher such as Zach Brown. Now, he's not as, quite as soft throwing as most control pitchers in the organization, uh, but he's not a flamethrower either in any regard. So it's really hard for me to break down what we are looking at. But the thing is, it was a lot of short outings, a lot of high pitch counts, and a lot of hard hits off Zach Brown. Um, he did not look anything lo like the 2018 Zach Brown, which we saw. Um, and the Brewers need to find a reason for it. And whether it's new ball or not, he's going to need to relearn how to control his stuff. Um, my hope is that he is currently down in spring training, where I know a lot of minor league pitchers are going to work on their stuff using the new facility, especially with the biomechanics uh, tools that they have at hand. A lot of uh, pitchers and hitters are trying to take advantage of the 
state-of-the-art systems that are in the Brewers organization right now. Um, I have in no way, despite a you know blatant, just terrible, terrible 2019, um, I think Zach Brown can still be a reliable part of the Brewers pitching staff. And I mean, I've always seen him as a four or five starter. I don't think he's the next Brandon Woodruff, um, but I think he's someone who can put up a good chunk of innings and be reliable for this team. But he definitely needs to get that control back. What's does he even compete for a big league? Because before this past season, I think we would have all agreed that okay, he's going to make his major league debut this past season, and that will set him up for spring training 2020 where he can really be competing for a huge role. Now he's coming off a, a pretty unsuccessful season at AAA. Going into spring training, is it is he basically in the exact same spot where you think, okay, he's still got to get have some success at AAA before you, got to, you can even think about putting a big league uniform on him? Yeah, I don't think he's moved up a peg in terms of – um his uh, nearing his time in the major leagues um he will probably get some early springtime action but he'll probably be one of the first cuts in the roster unless there's something in his development that the team really likes and feels that is enough for them to kind of move forward on um you know the team is good about recognizing when players take big talent leaps and giving them a challenge based on what they're seeing and i uh, if they see that, they will give him more time in spring training. But I think it's more likely you see him as a, you know, number 90 pitching late innings and then is one of the first cuts from major league spring training. Uh, let's go to another guy who at times it was not disappointing, but at times it was in Corey Ray. And there were some health issues as well. He got 53 games in at San Antonio after playing 11 at Double uh, A Biloxi. Brad, there were moments that he looked really, really good, but unfortunately what we've talked about with Ray is the overall results continue to be somewhat disappointing. Yeah, and he's a guy who's spending a lot of time at spring training right now, and I've been pretty excited with the things I've seen out of him. And just in terms of you know, an athletic guy getting more athletic, uh, working on his explosiveness, working on his back control um, – so he's putting in a lot of time in recognition that last season was abysmal. Um, you know, like you said, we did see good times, but overall, the overarching theme of last year was bad for Corey Ray. Um, he had a lingering hand injury, which I talked about on the podcast before, which, of course, can very much hurt a player's swing and success with the bat. Um, I think that's part of it. I also just think he isn't the player who we were hoping he was going to be when he was drafted out of Louisville. Um, but hopefully, I this is Corey Ray's last chance in my book. I think he can take an, a leap forward and have more production, and I hope that's true. But he is definitely on his last leg in, ter- in my book, and I imagine the organization's book with the depth of the outfield. That if he doesn't make it, that's a that, and, and I, I still think he's got a chance. But that's a that's a pretty big disappointment, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I we all know that there's failures in the top ten of the draft all the time, in the top five of the draft all the time. Hell, in the top three of the draft all the time. We knew this was a risk, but you know, it's 
it was such a big moment in the team's rebuilding. It's the highest draft pick they had during that phase. And to not get a starter out of that position is very disappointing for the organization because, you know, with how the team was rebuilding, that was so important. Um, and they just needed success there. They needed something to go right. Um, it, they've had success otherwise in the draft. Obviously, the, the year after went a lot better. Uh, but, yeah, it just needs to get better. Right, let's go to uh, Trey Shupak, who got seven games in at AAA, so he'll be our he counts as a uh, AAA guy. You look at what he did at AA, though. I mean, he was huge numbers. He struggled at AAA, but we're going to stay disciplined in our approach to uh, how we look at guys. Uh, here's somebody who uh, m- maybe a year ago people were talking about him, but a year and I mean, this is somebody who really has moved up uh, in terms. Of, I think the the prospect folks out there, I, I assume you included, but uh, people who really watch the minor leagues are pretty excited about uh, what uh, what Chupac might become. Yeah, um, his stuff's great, average or above across the board. Uh, he really has four good pitches and then a fifth okay pitch in his curveball. Um, he's pretty consistent throughout. It's not uncommon for him when he first sees a level to you know have some difficulties. It was a little harder for him at AAA, but AAA is a hard level. And again, with that offensive-friendly climate that he's working with in San Antonio, a lot of difficulty there that a young player has to deal with. Um, you know, struggled with the home run, uh, but I think that's something he can overcome. He's on the 40-man roster. And I think he does have a chance to put on a show at spring training and be one of the first people in line to come up to the major leagues this season. If he does well at triple a, once the season gets going, Uh, obviously the Biloxi stats are so dominant. Uh, They're ace like, but I don't think that's really who shoe pack is. Um, There's always been some worry about his weight, Uh, six foot five, 240 pounds. A lot of people say he uh, is heavier than his listed weight. Uh, So he's a big guy. He has worked on that, knowing that it reflects on his health. But it's not like we haven't seen big pitchers have success before. Um, I don't really see him as being the type of pitcher we saw at Biloxi. Uh, But I think he can be a pretty good uh, rotation bookend and or a flex player who can come out of the bullpen. You know, with his amount of pitchers, I think that's a very good arsenal to have in the era when we want a bullpen pitcher going a couple innings so i i think he's going to be a back-end starter in the future um, i'm not really worried about his triple a stats and yet i mean the double a stats speak for themselves he he has it going in a lot of regards so i think he can be quite the asset going forward I wasn't sure if I was going to ask you about this guy because he finished the year in the big leagues and got a fair amount of big league time, but he still has prospect status, so uh, we'll go with it. Devin Williams, uh, his his big league numbers were okay, uh, just a sub four, a 3.95 ERA. It seemed like it was either pretty good or pretty bad for him at the major league level, but somebody who really took a step forward this past year, opened up a lot of eyes, worked his way into a major league opportunity, and there's no reason not to believe that he's somebody who's going to continue to get major league opportunities moving forward. Yeah, and I think he's on the docket as having a very important role in the bullpen next year, uh, whether it's being the shuttle guy. But, um, you know, with some of the changes they're making in terms of the 15 day uh, minimum for minor league players or players sitting in the majors after being optioned, um, 
and some of those other new rules coming into place, potentially a 15-day pitcher IL stint because Manfred just can't leave anything alone. Um, <laughs> I think he is important in the Brewers' plans, and he absolutely deserves a shot in the uh, bullpen, and he'll be in competition until the end of spring training for that spot. A couple years ago, all we could do was talk about Lucas Ersig. He plays a full game at AAA. His numbers were okay. He didn't hit for average. Hit for some power. Where, where, where do you stand on him right now? Because it feels like his stock has uh, certainly dropped over the last two years. I'm still overall optimistic. This is going to be his first repeat level of his career. Um, he had a a dip of the toe in triple a back in 2017, but that was really just to get him experience after uh Bloxy season had ended and be kind of a defensive guy more than anything. Um, you know, the Bloxy numbers last year were so, so, um, and then he comes into triple a and does not so great, especially for a guy who had acclaimed power heading into it, uh, into his professional career. Mm. Not so great. 15 homers is still okay, but overall a sub 400 slugging percentage isn't anything you want to see from someone manning the hot corner. No matter that he has okay defense, you know, all things considered, especially the arm. I am still overly overall optimistic. I think a repeat level is going to do him good. He hasn't had that yet. And I think just some time to catch his breath and face some familiar competition is all in all going to do him some favors. So I am, despite him being the same age as Ray coming out of that same draft in 2016, I am more optimistic about his skill set because we've more regularly seen what he's able to do. I think he was just progressing through development quicker than he was developing. And now he can take a year and hopefully his development catches up to where he is. And he can be, I, I see him more as being a corner utility player. I think they teach him how to play the corner outfield. Uh, he comes up, can be that guy who plays three, four days at third first right and left mm -hmm. um, and offers a lot of utility off the bench for the Brewers. And I think that's a great role for him if you can make that work. Another prospect who uh, got a little bit of a taste of the big leagues right at the end of the season after the Christian Yelich injury is uh, Tyrone Taylor. He he didn't embarrass himself getting that major league opportunity, uh, hit 400 and you know, four of 10, but uh, somebody who was – just good enough to, or not quite good enough to get the 40-man call-up when they first happened, but good enough that when the Brewers had that need, they felt comfortable going to him. Yeah, and I think the big thing is when you look at his AAA numbers, they overall were very good. But he had this stint where right before he went injured, he tried to pay or on the IL. He tried to play through an injury and did just horrifically for basically all of May while he's trying to suffer or like really play through something. He, you know, finally comes out on May 25th after getting too injured to finish the game on against uh, Memphis and then comes back and has an overall very good end to the season. Even before he makes it to the major leagues, uh, you know, hits 294 with a 480 slugging percentage. We saw more power from him than I think most people expected. He's not really the prototypical 
power fielder, but I think he can be a really good fifth outfielder alongside Ben Gamble. He can play all three positions pretty well. Uh, and then also he's a righty bat to kind of counter that. He's very solid defensively. I think he's someone the organization can rely on in terms of depth. Uh, got that 40-man spot locked up. So I think he's someone the organization is overall going to very value. Uh, in terms of his diversity, her diverse, uh, versatility, good God, I cannot talk. Um, and, I mean, I I really think he – I know looking at the overall AAA numbers, so-so. Um, but I really think – the team considers that overall success when you take out that really bad May, which stems mostly from a leg injury. Last guy, uh, prospect-wise, to talk about it, Triple uh, A is somebody. I'm putting him in at Triple A. He actually didn't appear this year, and he was en route to a big league job. So maybe we shouldn't even be talking about him. But he's got prospect status, so we will. Uh, Bobby Wall. I think this is more of a major league question because this is somebody that, if he's healthy, he could help provide uh, a pretty solid upgrade to the to the major league bullpen for next year. Yeah, I think he's one of the biggest wild cards in terms of how good the bullpen is right now. He was acquired uh, in that trade because he was considered to be bullpen ready from the get-go, ends up hurting his arm, and isn't able to play basically all season. Um, So the Keon Broxton trade was meant to have major league value for the organization. I he did come back throw a little bit in the Arizona Fall League really just knocking off Russ the results weren't good but again it was more about getting him out there and getting him actual innings I think he starts in AAA uh, in April because he needs to see live action again and really get used to that but once that's done I think he's a really integral part of that bullpen Uh, he just has a lot of good attributes when it t- comes to pitching, uh, you know, a, a good curveball, a good fastball, um, a decent cutter to give players a different look. Hits uh, 98 with the fastball, uh, a nice little back end piece of the bullpen. And I think in terms of him and Devin Williams in the shuttle player being even more important this year than it was last year, he's a guy you can look at and really expect to come up and come down and i think probably by mid-summer he's in the bullpen full-time uh you know didn't look that great in his first taste of major league bullpen but i think once he gets we see that a lot from bullpen pitchers we see a so-so appearance and then they i mean we even saw it from Corey knable um we didn't see it from josh Hader because his stuff is just terrifying uh so I think that's very normal, and I think now that he's had that major league experience, he'll be more reliable for the Brewers when they need him compared to when he was working for the other organizations he played for before coming over to the Milwaukee. A couple non-top 30 prospect guys to uh, to just mention real quickly before we move to the double-A portion of this conversation. Where you, And this is somebody who's spent a ton of time in the big leagues over the last few years, but uh, a former prospect. Where do you stand on Jacob Nottingham? <laughs> I think the organization doesn't like him anymore. <laughs> I, I agree. Uh, I think if they liked him, they never would have. Uh, I think they would have gone with Manny Pena and Jacob Nottingham this season. I think they're fine with him as a defender and being that third guy to shuttle up when they need another catcher. But I think once his options are over, he's going to be DFA'd and leave the org um, unless he gets picked up on the um, 
through some other trade and is a piece some other team wants to try out. His offense never came through after the Chris Davis trade. Uh, he, he was supposed to be a bat first guy. His defense has made gigantic strides, but I, I don't think the organization sees him as a truly future piece that's going to provide value for them. Well, it was very telling when David Freitas got the call up and then Nottingham didn't get the call until Manny Pena suffered the concussion. Right, exactly. Um, or even when they acquired him. Um, to, I mean, you look at the timeshare, and it was basically split in thirds uh, for Nottingham, and he played a little bit more at first than he did at ke- her, than he has before, taking away from a lot of his catching opportunities. So, From a pitching uh, standpoint, uh, guys who appeared at San Antonio this past year, one of the guys I'm most interested in is uh, Luke Barker. Uh, interesting backstory, put up good numbers. Some people out there say, no, he's not going to make it. Others say, look at the numbers. He's somebody who can. Where do you stand on Barker? Uh, I'm really excited about him. Uh, He was one of the guys I was talking about earlier when we had our minor league rant in terms of the organization. You look at those guys who are just weird stories, you know, comes out of Chico state, isn't signed plays in the indie ball and then comes over to Milwaukee and he's a flamethrower, uh, really just a two pitch guy, uh, looks really good when he does it and has gotten results throughout his minor league career since coming over, uh, always been a little bit older than the competition, but I think once you get up to double a triple A, that age matters substantially less, uh, high strikeout guy. He controls the ball. Well, I, I think he can be, a mid-tier guy in the bullpen in the future going forward. Uh, maybe even one of those guys like a, you know, uh, John Axford, who, fun story, comes in, has a couple of years of success. Uh, the magic goes away and then unfortunately struggles. Uh, but I think he could come up, maybe he can, you know, get a season as a closer because his fastball is just really good. So, I, I'm optimistic about him. I like him a lot. Uh, he has a good profile, and I think he works with how Major League Baseball plays right now. So, yeah, he's a guy I'm a fan of. All right, we're going to jump uh, to Double A now and players who got to uh, Biloxi this past season. And we'll start with one of my favorite players in the organization, a guy that I'm really excited about. I think we'll see him uh, get to Triple A this upcoming season and, and catcher Mario Feliciano. Brad, we've had a ton of conversations about these, this guy over the last few years. Uh, to me, I remain just as excited now as I've ever been about him. Yeah, I mean, had a really good season coming back from injury last year at single her at a plus with Carolina, just miserable, you know, on and off the field, couldn't even make it Arizona Fall League, takes the winter off and finally just gets healthy, comes out, um, you know, really beats Peyton Henry in the catcher competition at Carolina and earns a just a taste of double a to end the season um you know power numbers were up in a very hard to hit park uh hit 273 with a 477 slugging in carolina in the carolina league that's so impressive especially for a guy who is 20 years old um a lot of players don't make it that far when they're his age or of the period um, he's coming along defensively. Uh, I know they trust him behind the plate a lot more than they did. Um, he still has some things to work on, can be a little bit better of a thrower in terms of getting out of his position uh, needs to do a little bit better at blocking balls, but 
he'll get there. Uh, he's been very coachable. I know the organization likes him, and it's definitely not Jacob Nottingham. This is the polar opposite of that. Uh, I I think everyone in the org should be, or everyone in the fan base should be excited about Feliciano. And I think the race between him and Peyton Henry, even though he won at Carolina this year, is still going to be interesting because I think Peyton Henry, which we'll get to in the next episode, another catching prospect in the organization, earned the bump up to double A as well. So it'll be interesting to see those two split time and if Feliciano, you know, still stays ahead of the other. Uh, The one thing that he needs to work on offensively is strikeouts, but for a 20-year-old, I always kind of expect that. Um, I think as time goes, he'll get better with the bat and really work on that and cut, overcome. I, I think he's still going to be a 100-strikeout type of a catcher. But if he can, I mean, 140 in his time in 116 games is less than ideal. <laughs> so I think he can overcome that. I think that's just a product of youth and going against some pretty high-quality pitchers. While Double A maybe didn't have as many prospects this year, they certainly had interesting ones. Another guy who got to Double A, who we actually thought might we might see at the big league level this year, didn't happen. Is uh, Drew Rasmussen? Yeah. Uh, so I actually have something coming on Brew Crew Ball where I spoke with Drew Rasmussen about his season. So um, had a very pleasant conversation with him, uh, and he kind of took me through. Uh, you know, he expected to stay at A plus for most of the season, and then after dominating at Carolina in just four games, was bumped up to Bloxy, which was a move he wasn't expecting. Ends up having a three five four ERA in sixty one innings. Uh, you know, his fastball is amazing. He's healthy. Uh, his slider looks great. Uh, he talked about how there's this middle of the funk or middle of the season funk that he goes through in Biloxi. And he talked about how he just wasn't prepared physically for the length of the season. Hmm. Um, and the thing he was he was trying to go through his regular routine as if it were the beginning of the season and not like adjusting his workload for how beaten up his body was at that time of the year. His catcher, his pitcher and coach worked with him on it, helped reduce his workload. And then he comes in and really has a very good end of the season, a little bumpy at the very end of it, but the overall final chunk is a lot better after that. So I'm really excited to see, I know he's working in the spring training complex on a lot of his pitches uh trying to get more consistent with his slider i'll be interested to see if they continue working him in short outings or if they actually try to uh, expand his inning limit a little bit there were times when he kept things under control that he got into the fifth inning with biloxi Um, so i wonder if they will end up working him as a starter and i know he isn't quite sure if that's the plan yet he only had four relief outings, but his of his 23 starts in minor league baseball last year, uh, most of them were three to four innings. It's a it's an odd thing sometimes that we don't talk about much. When you've got guys coming into minor league baseball and the everyday aspect of it, most of them never have gone through that before. Whether they're high school kids or college kids, I mean, even a college schedule, you're playing. Uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then generally you have one or two midweek games. So a general college schedule is at the most five games, sometimes three games a week. And as an athlete, figuring out how to handle the increased workload, that's something that can be a challenge. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think if you look through most players' first seasons, you're going to see them dip a little in the middle of the season. And I would bet that is a big part of that. Because um, it's it's so much different. It's so, so much harder to you know have to play every five or six days to, if you get an off day mixed in there. So it's and it's you're changing the routine that you've had for seven or eight years where you have played those partial week games when you've played baseball and learning how to adjust to that, especially when you come out feeling pretty good is I'm sure very difficult for any, anyone, let even these elite athletes. Um, but I mean, the coaches seem to have a lot of knowledge about that and work with their players very well on overcoming those challenges. Feels like a, one of the prospects that we don't talk about much is Braden Webb, and he played at a number level this year. He did get up to uh, did get up to Biloxi for for six games. His his numbers weren't great. He's dropped a little bit last year in the preseason. Uh, MLB Pipeline had him at number twelve, down to number eighteen when they uh, did their re rank. Is he losing some kind of some some juice as a prospect? Yeah, um, he dealt with injury a lot this year too. Um, you know, bounced up and down off the IL, ended up making some appearances at uh, the Golden Mountain, Rocky Mountain Leagues or teams. Um, spent most of the season with Carolina as he tried to rehab from that and never really got his control back. Uh, his control was for as bad as I talked about Zach Brown's, it was even worse for Braden. Um, so I know he's working on that and trying to get back up to what we saw when he had his uh, little taste of double A in 2018. Um, you know, he's he's always been kind of a controlless pitcher, but has normally been able to work his pitches enough to get strikeouts, and that just wasn't happening this year. Um, so I think eventually the best thing to do is work him towards the relief role, and I think his stuff works well in that role, and even if he's throwing four and a half walks per nine, you still have a, you can deal with that when they're a reliever. So I'd hope that they make that adjustment sooner than later and get him over to something that I think is going to help him climb through the farm, especially at his current age at 24. Um, but overall, I, I'm just giving him a waiver on this year, okay. especially with the injuries. Last guy, and this is somebody that I don't think we have ever talked about, was a two-way player at Long Beach State. Uh, got a little bit of time at Biloxi, spent a little bit of time at Carolina, played in 26 games, just snuck uh, sneaks into the uh, MLB Pipeline top 30 list at, at number 30 in Clayton Andrews. I'll be honest with you, I, I know a fair amount about a fair amount of guys. This is somebody who's not really on my radar. Well, we talked about him when he we got drafted because he kind of had a fun profile, right? And I said, "Oh, he's five foot six. Uh, it's so hard for people from five foot six. And now he's like one of my favorite prospects. He's on the USA team um, as they try to make it into the Olympics. Um, he's they're letting him play both ways this year. He played a lot of center field, a good chunk of center field this year, and uh, Carolina and Biloxi. Uh and he's actually hitting pretty well." Uh, more than you'd think someone like that can. He got uh, 36 plate appearances at Biloxi this year, hit 281, 361 with a 375 slugging. He actually plays a decent center field, and uh, his pitching has been 
phenomenal as well. Uh, he has a lot of deception on his pitches, getting high strikeout numbers. I've gone from this guy can't compete to I want this guy to be in the major leagues so badly, especially when you look at um, the allow a lot of teams will now shift a player to the outfield that they can play adequate defense so they can bring the pitcher back in after they use a guy for, you know, a set amount of hitters. Um, I think that's the type of versatility he offers, and I don't think he kills you at the plate with a high contact skill rate uh, skill. So I'm really excited about Clayton Andrews, uh, especially at five foot six. I always want guys who don't meet the specific criteria that sports set for them in terms of what a prospect looks like to succeed. So I, I'm rooting for the guy. Patrick Leonard is somebody with a triple-A resume who played double-A baseball season. So when I see that, I say... Here's a guy who's probably not going to be back in the organization next year. And what do you know? He's going to be back in the organization next year. What do you make of that? I think he's just minor league depth more than anything. Um, I see him. I think they just know he's a solid corner player, a veteran who can lead other players and give a good example while helping their teams to success because the minor league owners do want a successful team. Um, Biloxi has a track record of success uh they want to be successful in san antonio as a thank you for their investment in the stadium so i think he's one of those guys more than anything else um you know at 27 prospects dreams are gone um maybe he'll get it if he continues hitting get a little taste of the majors um which i think he already has had some major league experience but not much nope I am wrong, uh, but he, yeah, I don't see him as being much of a future contributor uh, for the organization. I expect a very different answer as I ask you about this guy, and this will be our last person here in uh, this portion of our conversation before we jump into uh, part two next week. My guy, Nate Greep. Yeah, superstar, future <laughs> relief Cy Young award winner. Um He's better than Josh Hader. Stop it. <laughs> he, I, I don't know. I, if if I'm leveling with you, Matt, Greep doesn't insult or like excite me at all. He, he's had success everywhere he goes. But I think if the team was excited about that success, they'd be moving him up more aggressively than they currently are. Um, and they're not. And I think there's a very obvious reason for that because he's not – they don't think he's going to contribute much. He and I, for people who are very – like, why is Paulie so into this guy? Uh, we we share a college. He He's a K-State guy. I'm a K-State guy. So there's the, uh, there's the connection, and I want to see more K-State guys in the big leagues. And your answer makes me sad, even if it's truthful. Hey, he was 6-1 with a 1.98 ERA and had 22 saves to lead the team this past year. Yeah, he sure did. And he, I mean, he has that track record. 50, Maybe yeah. I'll be wrong. Maybe he'll be a 27-year-old major league rookie who comes in and does great. Um, I I always want every player in the system to eventually play in the major leagues, but realistically, I know I can't give that to everyone. Um, I want to – I cheer for these players, and I want them to have success – because I know how hard it is for them to achieve their dreams. I earnestly want each of them to do as well as they possibly can for themselves. 
55 however, stroke. Oh, okay. You, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, then, however. It, I have to have to be honest, and I think there's a reason the organization isn't shooting this guy up the ladder. Yeah, we so like with guys like that. There's certain numbers you look at to maybe indicate future success, and certain numbers not to look at. Like ERA probably isn't one of those numbers. We've seen we've seen a ton of guys who have just kind of found ways to get outs in the minor leagues. That's not going to play out in the big leagues. The one thing I'll say about him, we generally do look at strikeouts and 55 strikeouts in 54 and two thirds innings. That's something. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, actually, two others I would like to mention as well. Sure. Uh, Dylan File is a guy I think all the organizations should follow. I think he or all the fans should follow. Um, he's not talked about much, but he's had success at more or less every step of the way. Uh, we did a great piece on him earlier this year. Uh, he's 23, went between Carolina and Biloxi this year, was a successful starter at both levels, uh, ended the season with a 3-2-4 ERA, uh, not a high strikeout guy, but excellent control. Um, and I, I think he can be a back-end four or five starter, which is very good for him. And then the other guy is uh, Bowden Francis, came into double-A, had a very bad start to the season. Um, another one of the 2017 draftees, but once he got going at Biloxi, uh, his strikeout numbers were phenomenal. He got a lot better with his control. Um, I think he made a huge step in his development this season, and he's someone I think might even be a role player for the bullpen in the major leagues next year. All right, Brad. So for people listening, they're going to hear part two of this conversation coming up next week, which will focus in on the two single A clubs with uh, Carolina and Wisconsin. So uh, looking forward to that. I'm a we're in real time. We're actually going to continue this conversation in like 30 seconds. But for people listening, they'll hear it next week. So do you want to say goodbye to me for uh, 30 seconds? Hey, Matt, it's it's always hard when we can't talk. Um, you know, I wait so long for these opportunities, and they're few and far between. So I, I can't wait for the next time we get to have a chat. Part two with Brad next week for you. 30 seconds for me. Thanks, Brad. Thank you. Brad Ford joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Again, uh, another conversation coming up with him uh, next week. It was an enjoyable uh, Sunday evening. We recorded all three conversations uh, at the same time. So we've got those uh, ready to go for the next two, and uh, we'll play the uh, second one coming up next week here on the podcast. Something to keep an eye out for, especially if you're someone who's listening to this podcast on Monday. Uh, Sounds as if the Brewers are going to be making a pretty major announcement on Monday. Uh, Don't know for sure what it might be, but there seems to be some rumblings out there. Uh, Some folks have thought it has something to do with the Brewers team logo. There's certainly uh, some smoke that could go along with some fire on that. But uh, whatever it is, we will certainly talk more about it on the podcast coming up next week. So just keep an eye on that uh, over the course of uh, Monday and Tuesday to uh, expect something to be announced by the club. All right, that's it. Uh, Thanks to Brad Ford. He'll be back next week. Thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. It's Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, 
Keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.